Hey everyone, welcome back to Plant Personalities with PV Plant Guy. If you don't know me already, I'm David, aka PV Plant Guy. I live in Ponte Vedra, Florida, and it is nice and sunny here today. And I have a fellow Floridian with me today, Ryan. How are you doing? Doing good, David. Doing good. We are uh, enjoying some beautiful weather up here on the other coast in the Sarasota Bradenton area. I love the West Coast. You have those white sandy beaches. It's amazing down there. It is. Uh, those golf keys are something else. <laughs> um, so those of you that have not heard this podcast before, it is basically a forum for us to obviously talk about plants because that's the one thing that is the glue that keeps us all together in the plant community, but also to get to know Ryan behind his social media profile and also get to know what some of his plant interests are. Um, if you noticed his handle, it is Florida fat plant. So I'm just going to dive right in here and ask you what the heck is a fat plant? <laughs> so the term is actually uh, directly relates to caudiciforms. Caudiciforms are types of succulents. Sorry, I got a cat crawling on the table right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> caudiciforms are succulents um, where they have the crassulacea and acid metabolism. Basically, they only open their pores at night to collect water and dew. Um, and they're closed off during the day because of the incredibly hot environments that they come from, as opposed to a tropical plant where that uh, stoma, stomata, their skin pores essentially on the leaves stay open at all times. And, uh, yeah, they happen to grow massive, large bases. Um, I find them really, I, I don't know why they push my buttons. I stumbled on them 12, 13 years ago, and I love the uh, the fact that they have all that nutrient and water storage. They're incredibly easy to care for, and they ship very well, too, which is something I've gotten into recently. Um, but, yeah, most of what I collect is from Africa, Madagascar, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, um, yeah. In that area, Socatra, I have a few. But yeah, fat plants are essentially caudiciforms would be the proper term. And it's all about the fat trunk and storing nutrient water in their harsh environments. So like a desert rose, is that one example of a fat plant? Exactly. Yeah. Adeniums. Um, there's a number of different species inside of adenium, but uh, adenium obesum, adenium arabicum are probably the two most common. And I own, I think the last count, there's 94 of them up in my front yard. Yeah, and if anyone's seen his Instagram, there are so many, and you show them off, and you've been showing them off individually, which is mm -hmm. cool, because I think that people don't necessarily always appreciate them. You know, you see them, like, in your big box stores, but there are so many different colors and sizes that they really surprise you. Uh, absolutely, and they're incredibly tolerant to be worked with also. I uh, I do mine a little bit different. I know uh, you and I get to see them down here in landscape in Florida all the time, but yes. oftentimes they bury the caudex, which is that big meaty base that I enjoy. Um, and you can chop them back heavily. They will branch heavily, and that's how you get the crazy canopies of flowers and things like that. And the closely related pachypodium is another uh, big Big uh, part of my collection out there. They're very similar to a, a denium, uh, a desert rose, except they're covered in spikes. And they leaf out just the same, and they actually flower quite beautifully. And they're much easier to pollinate than an adenium, in my opinion. So um, if you're still not understanding what a fat plant is, um, if you've seen some of those memes on social media um, where it kind of looks like um, – you know, two legs crossed with like a flower on top of the plant. Um, that's kind of what a fat plant is. Um, they also kind of look like potatoes a little bit. 
Yep. <laughs> um, and is let me ask you this: so Madagascar is where some of the species are native to. So would a baobab tree be considered a fat plant? Yes, it is. A so, baobab absolutely is a caudiciform. So, what is it like? The biggest type of fat plant? I think so. I think you're correct. Um, there's a couple of different caudiciforms that I own out front. A baobab absolutely is one. I don't own any of those, but I do have uh, what's called a Queensland bottle tree, Brachychiton rupestris. That one's based out of uh, Australia, actually. But those get so large that people can actually carve into the trunk and live out of the trunk of those trees. They get that big. We're talking 12 feet plus across. So if they ever get caught in inclement weather in a nasty area of uh, Australia, people have been known to carve little hollows out of these trees. They're that big. And the tree can still survive with that carved out hollow in it. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, occasionally we'll stumble on some rot down here with the wet environment. They prefer a much drier climate than, than where we grow them over here in Florida. But um, we do occasionally get rot and I can scrape back to clean tissue, sprinkle a little bit of cinnamon. That's my favorite product to use to help end rot. Um, and I have some where caudexes are almost completely hollowed out. I've worked plants with hollow bowling ball size bases before, and there's just little edges where roots attach to the side of those caudexes. But yeah, it's, uh, in my opinion, it adds character and, um, I don't lose many of these plants, but, uh, yeah, sometimes the rock can be absolutely incredible and ends up producing a cooler plant. I, I hear you on that one. Um, so if, <laughs> If anyone's listening to all the big scientific words you're saying, um, you, they must be wondering, like, does this guy work with plants for a living? So you do. And I want to hear a little bit more about your history with plants and kind of how they started to pique your interest and kind of what you do for your day job. <laughs> um, I can probably track this back to honors biology in ninth grade, I believe it was. Um, I wrote a paper on the phototropic responses of plants. Uh, phototropism is essentially leaning towards light. Um, we've all seen our plants do that. If you keep them in one position, you'll see how they kind of lean towards light. I was fascinated by that and grew little uh, pea seeds in my basement with a small little window and I would watch and measure the growth, the length of the distance from the window. And I was kind of a science nerd back in the day. So that's where it initially started. And then I laid off, got through high school and college. And in 2009, 2010, I moved into a townhome up in Columbus, Ohio. I'm an Ohioan. I was born in West Palm Beach, but uh, raised in Florida, or I'm sorry, raised in Ohio most of my life. So anyway, I was up in Ohio. Lauren bought me a ficus Audrey. And um, I did really well with it and just kind of went nuts from there. Bought my first Adenium uh, Desert Rose soon after that and just started collecting. I was a student housing um, manager, senior property manager for a group up in Columbus and then construction superintendent. And uh, five years ago, my father was diagnosed with cancer and I moved down to Florida to be closer with him. Um, the Sarasota Bradenton area is where he was raised since the early 60s. And... Uh, been visiting my whole life, but moved down and immediately got into the plant world. I met a couple of legends. Um, they run a, a uh, greenhouse nearby, um, one of the world's foremost experts in bromeliads, and was able to join their team five years ago and kind of uh, bounced around to a couple greenhouses since, but I have been professionally in the plant world for five straight years, and I'll never go back to the office. I mean, why would you if you get to work with plants all day and get paid to do it and love doing it? 
Absolutely. You know, it took a few years to start making decent money. I was, I did all right in my twenties and, um, yeah, when you start at, at, at entry level, essentially, is you know these guys didn't know me or my collection all that well. And when I joined the team, you're getting paid, you know, not very much money. But uh, soon I worked up with them and then switched over to another company and became a greenhouse manager. And now I'm working for another nursery. And um, yeah, the financial side of things are finally paying off. But it took a lot of hard work and a bit of a gamble to jump out of an office where I was quite comfortable doing. Um, making a little bit more, but my passion is plants and it doesn't really matter. I can, I can look aside. Lauren and I live an incredibly simple life and, uh, yeah, I'm doing what I love. I'm much healthier because of it. I lost 60 pounds in the process. Um, yeah, I am just, I, I, I don't ever not look forward to going to work. It is, it is, uh, I get to play with plants all day. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. So what, what do you do while you're at work, when you say you play with plants, what what kind of plants are you playing with and what are you doing? <clears throat> so where I'm at currently, we bring in a lot of our plants. A lot of nurseries here don't actually grow there. I mean, I do some growing. It depends on the plant. Um, but in my day job, a lot of it is unloading stuff that's coming up from uh, far south down in the Homestead or Miami area. And we are constantly filling orders. There's a number of... Uh, landscape companies that that we work with closely still probably 60 70 percent of uh the business where i'm currently at is uh, wholesale landscapes so big companies like um i I don't know there's a number of big ones out there and they have massive accounts with us they're playing they're placing orders all the time we're running around pulling for their orders choosing plants for them and then there's a lot of pruning a lot of fertilizing um and a little bit of growing going on over there really most of the growing and stuff from seed is occurring at my house um anymore but at the other nurseries it was a little bit different but yeah it's i call it playing with plants it's just uh basic plant maintenance and then there's a whole sales aspect involved and i pride myself in being able to give the uh, retail customers the time and uh efforts on my part that they deserve. Um, sales and getting people excited about plants is one of my favorite things to do and teaching along the way. I really, really get a kick out of that. And that's more than half of my, my responsibilities at, at work currently. Which is awesome. Um, I, I feel like I've learned a lot from you um, just over the past few years. So Ryan and I go back like two years, I think, when you first started Instagram, we kind of like followed each other and just started chatting. Um, and you kind of got into the Instagram scene when COVID hit and we were all like looking for something to do in our house. And, um, I've really enjoyed watching you create content and go live and kind of seeing your collection grow because you have so many fat plants in your front yard. If, if, if you haven't gone to his profile, you just have to check out what his front yard looks like because there are just so many beautiful plants. And I think that collections like that oftentimes go unappreciated. So um, <clears throat> I love kind of like watching you grow from afar and you have a different insight into taking care of plants. And um, I have to say though, the cinnamon trick I did learn from you. <laughs> and I have to say, I've actually learned that from my good buddy uh, TR at apartment jungle. Um, up there in the uh, up there in the Bronx, he preaches cinnamon, um, and I've kind of adapted over to that in the last couple of years. I met him right around the same time as you, and again, I, we've been playing with plants for a while beforehand. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
Yeah, it was something to do. In fact, my first page was actually dedicated to my cats, and that quickly became pictures of plants like crazy, and then I decided to uh, hop into just plants only with Florida Fat Plants. I was kind of surprised that name was even available, but it's not a commonly used term for these plants. It is more so in South Africa. There's a word for fat plants. It's escaped my mind at this point, but um, it is a common term in other countries, and I figured I'd hop on it, and uh, yeah. The uh, pages evolved quite a bit, though. Um, I really did a lot of lives. I was in uh, weekly lives with a couple of friends up there, and I, I just it went from pictures. And my favorite thing anymore is kind of long form videos. They don't really get the views that a lot of other stuff does, or the mm-hmm. or the reels. But I'll do a twenty minute long video showing you exactly how I repot things and going through the process and. I just enjoy sitting out in the front yard. Um, there's absolutely zero landscape design going on at all. If you guys actually check out the page, um, it's three to 500 pots laying around. We were just able to purchase our home last year, so that will be changing. But right now, things are just in pots laying all over. <laughs> what do your neighbors have to say about that? Oh, that's quite funny. I live really close to an assisted living home. And... Um, Across the street from me is Westminster Assisted Living uh, Facility, and they have a rehab wing also on the backside. But we have a lot of uh, friendly neighbors that stop by. Um, I'm very used to cars pulling over and asking me questions. I've given little tours through the yard quite often. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I get a kick out of it. I really enjoy it. The little neighbor kids ride their bikes down here, and I give them seedlings. And, uh, yeah, we get, we get everybody excited about it. These plants don't look normal. They're not – I mean, it's a – it's not a run-of-the-mill kind of thing when you drive by the house. It's it's something that if you're into plants, most people usually stop. Do people ask if you basically run a shop and if they're for sale? And do you um, ever sell them if people ask? Yeah, yeah, on occasion. I'm attached to some of the bigger specimens, obviously. If they've been in my hands, you know, 10 years, it's, it's uh, very hard to pry them from my hands. But uh, at the same time... Um, yeah, I do sell. I uh, get on auctions quite often. Actually, uh, most most recently, um, Tuesday evenings, 8 p.m. Eastern time with my buddy Plants and Stones, uh, Z up in Chicago. Uh, he, do, he goes live every single Tuesday, and I hop on there, and I usually sell a plant or two a week um, on there, uh, smaller things. But we go big sometimes, giveaways and auctions and all kinds of stuff. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. That is awesome, and... Um, how do you, so it's, it's kind of like a succulent, right? So kind of going back to that aspect and how do you ship them? I feel like I always get a lot of questions about, you know, shipping and packing plants. And so what's your go-to shipping method? So when it comes to the fat plants, it's quite easy. I, it, it takes a few days to prep the plant. I usually remove it from the soil and I'll bring my hose out and I'm going to spray that caudex till it's completely free of soil. It will be absolutely um, bare root at that point. And these plants can live bare root in shade for months at a time. In fact, there's been times where I have my carport is incredibly messy. I recycle all my repack or my packaging materials and I'll lose a plant in there for a month or two and come back to it. And it might be a little dehydrated or the caudex may have shrunk a little bit. Um, but yeah, they, they tolerate being out of the soil. These are really, really tough plants. Uh, you get them back into the soil, they take off again. So I would honestly use a little bit of bubble wrap, just make sure that the branches are protected. Um, a lot of times leaves will fall, uh, when they go briefly dormant being in a dark box for a few days, but they uh, bounce back and respond very fast. And I, I don't know if there's an easier plant to ship in all honesty. 
so, I mean, you're shipping them without soil. Uh, that's yeah. a, a rare just, just in the box, bare root, send them across the country, and uh, people pull them out of the box. They can repot them immediately. I always ask that they do not water these plants when they repot them. Um, it's a little trick I've picked up over the years, the exact opposite of what you would do with a tropical. But uh, if you withhold the water from the plant when repotting, it's going to send out little tiny feeder roots, and you will get a much better initial, initial established root ball. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do that. I do that for most of the succulents. I always, when I unpot them, I want to make sure they callus off. If there's any damage to the roots that occur, that's a potential for rot, and that's where the cinnamon comes in. I'll sprinkle some cinnamon if I see any nicks on those roots. Um, but yeah, my repotting process usually takes a week or two when I'm doing it at the house. When I'm pulling a plant and selling it to somebody, I pull it, clean it up, make sure they're calloused off. It goes in a box, and uh, yeah. We've had some um, incredibly happy followers that have bought some stuff from me and a lot of repeat customers. That means quite a bit to me. Yeah, those are the best kinds of customers, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. So um, you mentioned like you ship bare root and the uh, the buyers can pop these plants up in soil. So what kind of soil do you recommend for these plants? I use a well-draining mix. Um, most often... Um, I will use, let's see, I, I've been using a lot of Fertilone products lately because that's what we carry at the nursery. They have a great cactus mix, but it never is just one thing. Um, I've been known to add pumice quite a bit, and um, I love perlite. There's also a big orange bag available at most big box stores. Um, it's actually an incredibly cheap product called Stay Green Cactus Palm and Citrus Soil um, with about 10 to 20% perlite added to that. And I don't, I'm not a big, big uh, fan, not a big fan. No, that wouldn't be the proper term to say. Sorry, I'm still budgeting a cat that keeps hopping on this coffee table. Um, hmm. I don't find soil media all that important. For me, it's about light temperature and water. I find that to be the holy trinity with plants. And soil is kind of an amendment to keep that trinity in check, in my opinion. So as long as it's well draining, I've used inorganic substrates before, uh, like, Z's Herbs and Spices, which is a conglomeration, a special proprietary blend that he makes, but it's almost completely inorganic. Um, I've done these with bark before, just like you would do with an orchid and perlite, um, but my go-to is just a normal bag of well-draining mix with perlite added. Have you ever used um, like a semi-hydroponic medium? I actually have a bag. Um, a friend in Georgia sent me some some uh, uh what are the leca stuff little tiny leca balls yes the clay balls yeah i i haven't actually used it for anything but a top dressing at this point so i don't have much experience when it comes to hydroponics at least in growing these types of plants okay and i know some people use leca in the actual soil mix itself um mm -hmm. similar to how perlite is used but the reason i asked about that is because the pots that they're in kind i mean these plants kind of look like bonsai trees in a way um, and absolutely, there's like specific bonsai mix that you can buy. That's, um, you know, semi-hydroponic. Um, I'm thinking of like the Lechuza brand. Like if you go on Amazon and you just like search Lechuza, you'll see the bonsai mix pop up. So could you use something like that for these fat plants? 
You absolutely could. I find it to be a little bit more, a little bit gritty. I think oxygen to the roots is um, a bit underrated, so that's why I use perlite. When you're using the bonsai mixes, oftentimes it's it's a heavier product, and that's to kind of help keep that plant secure as it's reaching out in its roots. If you're familiar with bonsai, they do heavy root raking. They're going to trim up that root ball incredibly small. And they're actually going to wire that in to kind of get the angles or just tilt it. But that's a heavier, heavier mix. I don't think my adeniums love it as well as some of the others. The pachypodiums do quite fine with it. Um, other succulents do quite fine. I like to have a little bit of a lighter mix, although they're massive bulbous roots. The feeder roots want to reach through stuff, and I feel like they're slightly impeded when I'm using an inorganic substrate like a like most bonsai mixes would be. Right, because they're so heavy, it's basically like little pieces of rock that the yeah. little feeder roots have to navigate through. Yeah, expanded clay, rock, hummus, <clears throat> there's all kinds of stuff that's going in there. There's usually a little bit of uh, bark chips in there as well, but um, I just find it to be a little bit heavy for my, I don't think the roots progress as quickly with uh, desert roses, but when it comes to the pachypodiums, they respond to it immediately. They don't have nearly as big a roots either, which is quite strange. It's kind of back-asswards for what you'd think. So, um, so these are desert plants and you're raising them outside in Florida where in the summer we have rain every day. How does that work? Well, you touched on it briefly before. A lot of these that I grow look like bonsai style. I wouldn't call myself or or give myself credit for uh, doing that at all. Really, that's to mitigate our wet season and the constant rains that we have. So in a smaller pot, there's not an opportunity for those feet or roots to remain wet. I like to keep the caudexes within an inch or two of the edges of these bowls. I love bowl-style structures because I think that it helps widen up the caudex. But a small um, a small growing container is something that I have to do here in Florida, as opposed to people um, like my good friends out in Arizona that produce beautiful desert roses. They grow them in much larger pots, and that can be... I mean, that's actually needed out there. Over here, it's not needed. I would probably experience a bit more rot if I grew them in some of the bigger containers that some of my uh, fellow growers do. Right. And so basically, the smaller pot allows for the soil to dry out at a faster rate. So absolutely, just uh, preventing any rotting from occurring from the water just being stagnant in the pot. Exactly. I want them to use the water, and they do drink a lot. I mean, when it comes to uh, peak mid mid season, mid summer growing, I'm watering these things. I mean, they will absorb a hefty amount of water within a couple days. I mean, I'm out there watering constantly. I collect. I have two 55 gallon rain barrels um, on the backside of my carport where there's a kind of a drip spot, and I collect a lot of rainwater. And I run out of it sometimes, and I have to supplement with hose water that I let bleed off for a, a day or two, much like you would with a betta fish, you know, letting the chlorine evaporate a little bit and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I could go with bigger pots for some of these. I just I, I feel like um, I'm I'm dancing with potential for rot at that point. So small containers here in Florida, big containers, and most other places. I mean, over in Thailand, you see them doing them big. Over in Brazil, they do them in massive pots. I don't know how they can quite get away with it, but... Uh, I don't know, and I'm kind of stuck in my ways, too. I think it accentuates that caudex being crammed into a smaller bowl. I really like the way that it looks. Have you found any other people in Florida who are as into fat plants as you? Because this is kind of a niche plant corner that many people don't really know about. Um, it is. It, um, 
It absolutely is. No, there's a there's a number of collectors around, and in fact, I have um, some clients that are now kind of hooked um, after showing them some of the stuff that that is possible with these plants. Um, there's a local community here that I've met recently through Instagram that are getting obsessed with these plants, and I, um, yeah, getting people. Like I said, I'm coming back to getting people excited about these. I just I find them so easy to care for. Um, they're like slow moving pets. You can almost watch them fatten up over the course of the day after giving them some water. And there are some really well known YouTubers in the area. Hey Riley, shh, shh, baby. Sorry, my dog's making a little bit of noise. I think Lauren may be coming home for lunch. <laughs> um, sorry. But, uh, yeah, there's a lady just south of me with a beautiful Desert Rose nursery. Um, she's quite large on YouTube. Her name's escaping me right now. Um, in fact, people have tried to link us up a couple of times. I haven't been able to get down there. But I'm absolutely not the only one doing it here in Florida or in my area. Um, but I think my stuff looks a little bit different, in all honesty. Right. Everyone's collection is indeed different. And so, um, you know, we appreciate you sharing yours with us. Um, you mentioned, so you have a cat and a dog. Um, don't you have three cats? Yeah, we've got three cats nowadays. I've got Chi Chi, who uh, is our most recent um, acquisition. She showed up actually uh, a couple months ago when I was live on an auction with at Plant Shop Chicago. Um, those guys are awesome, if you've ever seen their work uh they do a lot of succulents a lot of cacti um way up there in chicago we were on a live on an auction and this little kitty came walking into my hands <laughs> and she actually made her instagram debut that night on a live so, so she's cute. the most recent one yeah she's incredible i mean she was an outdoor cat for probably six to eight months she knows her way around quite well she climbs the house gets up on the roof climbs trees um is a lizard hunter. And then the other two are bottle babies that I had gotten a couple years before um, when quarantine had first started. Lauren and I took uh, six cats in from the local shelter to help keep down uh, their work during kitten season. And um, Blueberry and Cream Puff ended up staying. They're actually running around me right now. Uh, they ended up staying. We fed them from, uh, they were probably about four weeks, so they were still just coming off the bottle at that point. But um, out of the six, we kept those two, and then Chi-Chi showed up recently. And we've got one dog left. Um, her name is Riley. She's a cattle hound, basset hound cross. And we just recently lost our Layla, who is a beagle basset hound. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, she was She was Lauren's baby. Um, I think she How old was, was she? Yeah. She was almost 14 years old. She had Cushing's, uh, some liver issues, a number of problems. Uh, had overcome ITP, an autoimmune condition, uh, shortly beforehand. Um, but, yeah, medications and stuff were insane, and she ended up having uh, two stroke events there in the last couple months. Oh, yeah. man, that's no Sad. way to live. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, a, it was a rough day. Lauren and I have always been a dog family. Um, when we met each other... 14 years ago we've been together for 12 but um we met each other we both had two dogs and that household became a four dog household and um over the last 12 years you know these dogs age and um recently we've uh lost a couple we actually moved to florida five years ago with four dogs and no cats wow so i mean you guys are just animal people Yep. Yeah. Lauren works for the local shelter system and, um, yeah, she's actually an entomologist by trade. So, uh, her degree is in entomology from Ohio state. 
so she understands insects quite well, which works quite well with my hobby. And you know how crazy the insects can get here in Florida. Right. So does she help you mitigate any pest infestations? Uh, yeah, actually quite often, especially with identifications at work, I'll send her pictures of cool stuff we see. Um, and she's able to identify things quite quickly. Um, and as far as uh, getting away from the chemicals, I really don't use chemicals in the yard. Unfortunately, at the nursery, that's unavoidable at that level and the quantity that we have there. But here at the house, um, she's helped me develop a couple of different things. And most often lately, I've been using a vinegar mixture with a little couple drops of dish soap that seems to be the best. Okay, so let's expand on that because there are so many people out there that have trouble with thrips and spider mites and fungus gnats and mealybugs and you name it. So I definitely want to hear your solution. What's, what, what is the ratio of vinegar to water to dish soap? Is I'm assuming that's what it is? Yeah, yeah. so um, you want to be careful using – a lot of people use neem oil or malathion oil, and those definitely have their places here in the plant world. But with what I grow, it tends to uh, – really, the, the plants don't like that. They don't want oils on their leaves. Um they are only opening up those pores in their leaves at night, and I just I don't I don't like the oil products. It seems to cause some crazy leaf drop almost immediately for for me when I use them on succulents. So what I've been using lately and most often is going to be one part distilled white vinegar to three parts water, and then a couple of drops of dish soap. And the dish soap is an important aspect to it. It acts as a spreader sticker, and that is a term used in in um, the nursery industry it basically leaves are all coated with a little bit of their own natural wax and when there's something like a dish soap added to that mixture it helps that solution cling to the leaves and it can actually be added to almost anything you're only using a drop or two but what it does is it breaks the surface tension just enough of that water to allow it to cling onto the leaf a bit better now with um, one part vinegar to three parts water. Essentially, what is killing the insect is going to be the acidity of that vinegar. Now, most of these plants actually prefer slightly alkaline soils, um, at least what I grow. So oftentimes I will turn the plant sideways and make sure that I'm hitting the tops and bottoms of the leaves, but not letting, I mean, it's inevitable some of it will get into the soil mixture, but I don't want a lot of it to get into the soil mixture. And it's best if the plants are heavily watered first, then it's diluted anything, any of the acidity that does get into the soil is diluted instantly because the plant has been freshly watered. Okay, so um, I've never tried vinegar and water and dish up. It sounds so simple. So what type of pests are you using the solution to mitigate? Um, occasionally, up here I don't get a whole lot, but um, occasionally spider mites, occasionally mealybugs. Um, what I do have an issue with down here, because most of what I grow is in the oleander family, are oleander caterpillars. And I don't know if you've seen them. Most people in Florida have. Um, it's a bright orange caterpillar, and they can defoliate an oleander plant in a day or two. It actually is a moth that lays little tiny eggs. Caterpillars grow up in and around the plant. In my desert roses, they love to hide underneath the caudex during the day in the hot sun, and then they kind of come out in the mornings and the evenings when it's a little bit cooler, and they will munch my plants down. I mean, the leaves will disappear. So the vinegar and water works well for that, um, especially it's my favorite for aphids. Aphids are pretty sensitive. You know those little tiny, tiny orange bugs that get up mostly under the leaves um, mm -hmm. and feeding on new growth? 
Have you ever noticed that uh, oftentimes plants will sh- or uh, insects will show up after a recent fertilization or some pops of new growth? They love that new juicy growth that comes out on top. Um, but yeah, it's that solution I find in that mixture, one part to uh, three parts water, seems to be just enough to fry those little bugs without harming the plants. But yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot of issues with it right now. We got some grasshoppers outside, but yeah, I would say oleander moss and aphids are the most common um, issues that we have here in the yard. Um, is there a specific type of vinegar that you use? Do you use like cleaning vinegar or just like your good old like regular, you know, grocery store Heinz vinegar? Exactly. Yeah. No distilled white vinegar in a one gallon jug. Okay. No, no special stuff. Whatever the, the cheap thing is on at Publix or the whatever local supermarket you have down there. Okay. Huh. I'm gonna have to try that because I've been dealing with spider mites for a very long time, and they just keep coming back for me. Um, if, on your allocations? Um, I have them on some of my philodendrons, and my dumb cane is actually the biggest culprit. Oh. My Diffenbachia tropic snow. Yeah, that's a gorgeous plant. It's one of my favorites. It's yeah, um, and right now it's looking very tragic because the spider mites just keep coming back. Yeah, I would uh, attempt to break that cycle. So spider mites have a very defined lifespan, and oftentimes if you can get enough water underneath that can interrupt their lifespan, they re- they absolutely require a dry environment, which is why they show up on the underside of the leaves. But if you're able to get enough water under there consistently, sometimes that can help. But absolutely don't be afraid to blast them with a little bit of that vinegar water solution I was talking about. We run into it a little bit at, at work, um, spider mites on alocasias, just because of the way that the leaves are formed. They seem to really be able to find that nice dry spot underneath even in a greenhouse setting so spider mites are the least of my issues they seem to not be as impactful as some of the other things but at the same time i know how frustrating it can be um, with a constant battle um, oh actually for the caterpillars too i'll use thuricide it's a southern agriculture product it is basically liquid bt it's a bacillus bacteria um, like bt's mosquito bits but thuricide is a great one um, i think it's like two to four tables or two to four teaspoons per gallon for that but it's essentially liquid bt and that works excellent for the caterpillars as well and fungus gnats you can do a soil drench and it will take out your fungus gnats usually in one treatment okay good to know i've been using bonide um for i had a thrip infestation so i was Mm -hmm. using bonide as a systemic and Mm -hmm. i i noticed that in my greenhouse cabinet sometimes i'll get fungus gnats but um, I noticed that all of my fungus gnats went away because of the bonide. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, that that's so you're you're hitting it, the soil and the plant is drawing that up. But yeah, if you're creating a messy environment for them, they really don't want to mess around in there. Fungus gnats can be a pain in the butt. Um, I'm mostly an outdoor grower anymore, so I don't nearly have the same um, experiences. These kittens do not allow me to have many plants in the house, so there's a couple pothos hanging very up high where they can't get to them, but. I, I don't get as much uh, insect issues because the plants are grown a little bit harder outdoors. I mean, when there's the weather that we have, when there's the heat that we have, when there's the torrential downpours that we have, it's really easier. I'm I'm kind of uh, cheating here by doing everything outside. And with this weather, I can get away with it 90% of the year, 95% of the year. So in that other 5%, when it gets super cold, what do you do with all of them? Are they uh, <laughs> tolerant? <laughs> no. So depending, I mean, I can get away with, mid 40s to low 40s if the plants are dry um 
and well-established. You really want to be careful with most of these caudiciforms and succulents when it gets below 45, 40 degrees, especially if they're wet. It's not so much that the um, temperature is the issue, but temperature and being wet at the same time is an issue. Um, that's just asking for rot, especially with these plants being from Africa and much drier and hotter climates than we, where we are currently. So that becomes fun, and a couple hundred plants come into the guest bedroom. I have to remove all the – that's kind of the cat room slash guest bedroom. So all the litter boxes come out, their food bowls, everything come out into the living room, and I take over the guest bedroom with a couple hundred plants. It can be hilarious. They're stacked up on the bed. They're stacked on the dresser, all over the floor. I can literally carve a little path just to get in and out, and that's it. How long does it take you to bring everything inside, and how long do you uh, leave couple them there? Hours couple hours yeah it's because it's most of it's walking from the front of my house all the way around the way that my house is designed you can't just cut through one way there's actually a fence on one side so i have to take the long way around and these things are heavy oftentimes i can only hold one plant at a time and lauren's got some back issues so she only picks up you know the four to six inch but she helps me out it'll still take a couple hours and then you got to put everything back outside the next day or two when it gets warm again so it's frustrating but it's uh it's a part of the process when you're curating a collection this large would you ever uh think about covering your plants instead of bringing them inside would you risk it I have to now, unfortunately. A few of them are too big for me to be able to manage. So, yeah, this year, I don't know if every people in the rest of the nation are aware, Florida got hit with uh, some of the coldest temperatures, at least on my side of the coast. Um, they hadn't seen weather like that in 9 to 12 years. In fact, most of what grows down here is for an agricultural zone lower than what we are. I'm officially a 9B, uh, but most of what we grow and most of what the nurseries grow here are actually rated for agricultural zone 10A. Which made things quite difficult when we got freezing temperatures. We had actual frost that occurred. Um, but, yeah, I have these old felt blankets that I'll toss over some of the bigger specimens, and that works. Um, I don't have any crazy palms right now. Palms seem to be incredibly sensitive, especially where that central growth point is on those palm trees. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's a few tricks, but um, you'll lose plants. It happens every year. Yeah, I've talked about that numerous times on this pod because – um, like you, we also had a, a historic freeze this year, and um, it just decimated my backyard. Um, and I'm still recovering, but you know, we're at the point where we have some green coming back on some of the palm trees. We lost a few other types of <coughs> excuse me plants. Um, we tried to have some uh, clusias here. We love that tropical look, but um, you know, you guys have them in in southern Florida, but um, they Such just a great didn't. Plant. Oh, they're so beautiful, especially when they get big and hedge-like. Um, mm -hmm. We wanted to, you know, have them grow tall to create some privacy from our neighbors. And um, yeah, we just had one cold snap that completely decimated them completely. Like they are like dead to the bone. So um, on my to-do list is just ripping them up. Um, but, you know, you're lucky because you're down south and you don't have those cold snaps as often as we do. And here it'll get below 40 often. And, um, you know, I leave my orchids out, um, you know, up until uh, the freezing temperature threshold and they do just fine. Um, and for me, it's a process to take 100 plants, maybe not 100 out, you know, from my patio inside so i can only imagine what it's like for you having to kind of weave through your yard in your house you know with with the heavier plants 
It's uh, well, and the animals have to go away, so they get locked in the other room because I can't have the door wide open when I'm coming in and out. And yeah. it's just when you're holding heavy plants, just grabbing the door handle and slipping back inside. So everybody gets locked away into our bedroom, and then the door stays wide open where I can just usher things in. Oftentimes, I'll bring it to the back patio, but yeah, it's uh, that cold was something else. I um, at the nursery, we easily lost well over ten thousand dollars in pitch apples alone. Um, and it's a remarkable to see oftentimes things didn't show up immediately. It takes two, three, four, yep. sometimes six weeks to see the damage that that one night created. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yes. And it's terribly disappointing when you realize <laughs> yes. that it's actually, you know, you're like, Oh, we made it. And then no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Hey Ryan, I, it's, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. I've certainly learned a lot. I always learn from you and I, can't thank you enough for spending some time talking about fat plants. I think it's an underrated plant. I don't have any. I think I need to kind of keep my eye out for some when I'm, you know, shopping for some plants in the area. And um, I'll definitely hit you up with, uh, you know, some more questions about how to take care of them. And um, I'm looking well, I'll keep an eye out if I see if I see some specimens uh, down here that that have your name on it. I will definitely uh, pick some stuff up and we'll talk. But I, I have to thank you for the opportunity. It's an honor to be on here with you. Um, like I said, you and I have a little bit of a history. We've done a live once before in the past. But um, when you hit me up about this podcast opportunity, I was absolutely uh, blown away and so appreciative. Thank you for having. Yeah, me. I love chatting with you. Um, I am again thankful that you decided to join and. We will definitely touch base soon. All righty, bud. Good talking right. with you.